0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Yellow, what's happening? We're back. It's, uh, what day is it today? It's Tuesday, July 31st. I can't believe we're coming up on August. We passed, uh, our year-long anniversary a few weeks ago. I forgot to commemorate it, so, uh, Wow, I can't believe it's been a year since I started recording this podcast. It's been definitely a wild ride. We've gotten to go through an entire uh, entire sports calendar. We have the NBA. Uh, we've witnessed the last year's MLB playoffs. We got to hear the NFL, the entire NFL season. Uh, well, hit me up if you guys want a fantasy football deal. Because fantasy football is coming up, and I'm very excited. I know that everyone... Uh, in my leagues also excited as well. Uh, Fantasy football, I was talking, it's like, it's kind of like a sprint. It's weird. I think, I think we would not be as into fantasy football if we didn't have 40 weeks away from it. I think that's the reason fantasy basketball and fantasy baseball aren't more popular is because you got to do more work and manage your lineup uh, every day in a lot of cases. And you got to do that for longer uh, and that they have a much longer season. Whereas Fantasy football, your regular season's probably uh, somewhere from 10 to 12 weeks, Uh, so you don't have to go nearly as long paying hardcore attention, and you can devote a lot more time into fantasy football during the time that it is happening. Also, I think some of it has to do with the fact that uh, fantasy football, there's one day, or really three days, but one major day where you can all just sit around and follow fantasy football instead of following it every single day. Uh, which can start I can see how that can start to become a grind uh after a while if you're not totally into it. But anyway, that, that I didn't even plan on doing that, but that just helped came came out. Um but I love fancy football, so just let me know if you guys want me to do something about it. I might do something about it anyway. Um what else was I gonna say? Oh yeah, schedule. So I, I didn't have I wasn't able to put anything up on short rest, so it looks like I think we're just gonna end up having skipped a week and just go on this uh Tuesday, go back on Tuesdays. Uh, so as a result, there wasn't actually too much that happened this week in the world of sports. I mean the end of the trade deadline, but there weren't any humongous major blockbusters in baseball. Uh, so a lot of so the majority of these topics are going to be from a few weeks ago, um, but I, I would have gotten to them, but they all happened while I was gone, um, and so I wasn't able to do so. So um, we're going to get into all those things in this upcoming episode, so let's get underway. First topic is something that has been a recurring story for a long, long time, and it's going to keep continue to be a recurring story. And actually, I'm going to lead you in with a little something different. I'm going to read you an article headline. How National Anthem Protests Bring Out the Worst in People. And this is a standard article um, telling listening to people what their response had been on social media two national anthem protests in the NFL, obviously started by Colin Kaepernick. But what's striking about this article, reading it now, is not what's in the article itself, but the date it was released, September 25th of 2016. This national anthem protest controversy, so to speak, has been going on for over a year and a half, and it's about to reach a two-year period in which we have been talking about this. Uh, and it's been a year since I started talking about it here on the Wong Takes. And yet there are still new developments. Just uh, this last week, just yesterday, uh, the NFL has released a statement to owners telling them not to talk about the National Anthem uh, and whether the protest should be happening. Uh, as cursed the New York Post, they told Jerry Jones uh, to to shut up about it. Uh, the, the article's words not mine. Um, and Marvin Jones, or sorry, not Marvin Jones, Mike Brown, uh, the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, told ESPN that the league's owners had been told by the NFL to not talk about the protests. There's there's so much to dissect about the protests, whether you think they are righteous, whether you think they're effective, whether you think they uh, should be happening, what what do you think the alternatives are? Um and I'm on the side of the players. I believe that they have the right to protest and uh they're not disrespecting fallen soldiers, they're not disrespecting the flag, they're not disrespecting um they're not disrespecting America. They're just showing their right to say what they think is wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, besides the story itself, this controversy has been going on like I said for almost 2 years and moreover there really shows no sign of this controversy ending. Heck, I could see this controversy still being a thing in five years, uh, albeit people's attention spans are shorter than that, but variations of this national anthem protests will ha- keep happening, um, and, and there's going to have to be some change that I'll get into a little bit later. Um, but I was listening to The Gress Show on CBS Sports Radio, it's a great show, uh, I love the host, but... He he went on a little rant about how the National Anthem protests, he he's sick of them. Um, not not necessarily the protests themselves, but the, the controversy around it, the constant bringing it up, and the owners and clashing. And while that may initially come off as a little bit insensitive to the protests, I totally get what he's saying. And he later clarified, look, I'm not against what the players are trying to do. I respect what the players are trying to do. um And I get where he's coming from. I mean it's tough to be bombarded by this 24-7. Uh, it's kind of like how our presidential races, election cycles are almost two years, and that's um, every, pretty much everyone can agree longer than it should be. Um, and, and, and I understand that this is a process that's going to take years and years before uh, anyone or before this issue can be solved. But I think at some point, the owners and the players need to understand that this conversation, while it is a conversation that has to be had, when it's gone on for this long, um, it's not their fault at all, but I hate to say this, but like people are going to stop paying attention and get get tiled, sick of it, like you said, if it continues like this without anything happening. I think at some point, the owners and the players have to sit down and say, look, we need to hammer out something. Something that will appease all parties as much as possible so that we can move this, uh, put this on back, Like at least put, have like the owners with their deep pockets, have them pump some money into communities or have them pump some money into police training or, I, I don't know, just get a better police force with taxpayer money. I don't know. Just have them agree on something where we can sort of move this off the side, because right now this stalemate of the NFL telling the owners to shut up, and then coming up with agreements that basically no one can agree on. Uh, with you, they, they had that agreement they put out a month ago that I talked about, where uh, players had to stand in the locker room uh, or or stand for the national anthem. And then that was quickly met with controversy from both sides because it was kind of an appeasement that uh, got rid of no one because people either said it wasn't good enough or it was too much uh, and uh, and the NFL is overreaching and infringing on rights. So meet in the middle somewhere where you say, players, I don't know, make players stand for the anthem but also donate some money or just let them kneel and do nothing uh, or, or, or do both, I don't know, but... Look, and all that's going to continue, while I don't want to bring too much politics into this, but it's kind of too late. I mean, as long as the president that we have is in office, uh, we're going to continue to have conversations like this because he's going to keep tweeting about it. But the NFL can at least gain its rep, because right now the NFL is taking pretty much all of the heat for this. I mean, everyone is blaming Goodell and blaming the owners uh, and also blaming the players from a a different mindset than, than many people have where I am located in the peninsula on the Bay Area, which is you know, a liberal area. Uh, but if the NFL can do something about this, like uh, donate money or provide resources or organize uh, community activities, something positive in the community, like Colin Kaepernick donated a million dollars a few years or, or a year ago, right? So Something like that. You can shift the blame onto, or for this issue, onto everyone else. You can blame it on the president, uh, you can shift the blame onto to anyone who criticizes it, right? If you take it off of your league, maybe it'll help your league get back some positive press as people start to realize uh, the root of this issue and start to realize what's going on. Because right now, as it stands, the protests are really helping no one because the player's message is being overshadowed by the controversy surrounding it, uh, and the NFL is just getting bad press after bad press after bad press from basically every party involved. Our next topic today, topic number two, is a, is a move in the NBA that's been finalized pretty much, and it's going to happen. Uh, Carmelo Anthony going to Houston on, I believe, a win-year deal. I don't, know, I don't really know what to think of this move. Well, okay, I, I have thoughts, and I'm about to say that. <laughs> but there are some both upsides and downsides to Melo going to Houston. Obviously, Houston is going to gain talent. Uh, getting Carmelo Anthony, who is a pure scorer, a uh, guy who can get you buckets, although his production has dropped off in the last couple of years, but a guy who can get you buckets. uh, And that would lead you to believe that he's going to bring a positive uh, play for Houston. You know, spread the floor a little, get some shots up, get them out of ruts like a KD did for the Warriors. I made that comparison before with, with various other players. And, and yet, the, no one else really seems to agree on that, and I have a tough time agreeing that as well, given the circumstances. Um, their odd, championship odds actually went down after Carmelo s uh, announced that he was going to join the, or it was clear that Carmelo's going to join the Rockets. Uh, if you take a look at five thirty eight, which is a website I like to plug all the time, it's sports and math Combine That you get everything, um, and their NBA player projections, which a backronym is their backronym is Carmelo, cur- curiously enough. Uh, If you go to projects.538.com slash Carmelo, you can see every uh, player slash Carmelo-Anthony gets you mellows. And last year, his wins above replacement was actually negative 0.7. So in other words, if you just got a replacement level player, which is kind of like, you know, a a bench role player that that can do okay, he was worse than that. The category they placed him in was scrub. Uh, If you look at his production the last couple of years, 2016, his... Wins above replacement was 5.3, 2017 was 1.8, 18 was negative 0.7. Now 538 has not progressing or regressing to the mean and basically being a replacement level player. Um, but that doesn't take into account trades and, um, you know, roster turnover and all that st- and, and surrounding and all that good stuff. Um, but the point is, Melo has seriously regressed in the last couple of years. Um, and if he goes to the Rockets, I think I said this a few weeks ago. Um, his situation might be very similar to that in 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 Oklahoma City, where he's the third man. He has a defined role. He's not going to be the primary ball handler. He's not expected to do much of the heavy lifting. Uh, in fact, he might even be in kind of a bench role. Um, and we can already start to see clashes uh, in, in that his role in Houston might be similar to his role in Oklahoma City. He's already said last week, he said, I'm not going to come off the bench. I didn't play basketball to come off of the bench and yet if you look at Houston's depth chart I mean he's coming to an established team uh Chris Paul James Harden obviously had the backcourt on lock Clint Capella who just signed a new deal has the center position on lock their forwards are PJ Tucker and Ryan Anderson right now and I don't I he, Carmelo's a three I mean do you plug him in and place of PJ Tucker who's been in the system for for at least a year now Uh, They've got Gerald Green backing up P.J. Tucker. I mean, aren't both of those guys at this point in their NBA careers more productive uh, than Carmelo? I mean, P.J. Tucker's uh, wins above replacement last year was 2.8, which is a full uh, three wins uh, higher than Carmelo and in an NBA season, which is, what, 82 games? That actually makes a significant difference. Uh, Even Gerald Green was better than Carmelo at 0.3 wins above replacement. So, I don't know if you take Carmelo and you plug him into the small forward. I mean, I could see them having similar issues to Oklahoma City, where it's like, that's a legitimate question. of Like, look, there's only one ball. um, And does Melo actually make them a better team? I think as far as next year goes, I mean, I, I think there's only so much we can say about the regular season. But as far as the playoffs go, um, and matching up with other teams, I don't know if this Carmelo Anthony signing is enough to bring Houston to the top of the Western Conference. I think if you really want to, to get up there, you're going to have to add more. It's going to come up to bench, out to the bench players. Uh, last year, we got a taste of what Houston can be like with a strong bench with Eric Gordon and Gerald Green and Trevor Ariza. Uh, now Trevor Ariza's gone, so you add Carmelo to the mix. You got to add a, a, like a backup point guard uh, and maybe some more guys to play the four against a Draymond, like a Draymond type. Um, that that could really be the piece that lifts them above the Warriors, because now you have to compete against a KD, Steph, Draymond, Clay, and DeMarcus Cousins Warriors, um, and that's basically uh, not gonna cut it if you just added Carmelo and took away Trevor Ariza, uh, which is looking more and more like a zero sum zero sum set of acquisitions right now. Um, so that that's the Melo trade. Um, as you can tell, I'm not too bullish on it, but you know what? Who knows. Who knows? At this point, uh, the NBA is super-duper crazy, uh, so we'll see what happens next year. Moving on from that, uh, a little off the beaten path today. Um, A couple major tournaments happened in tennis and golf that we're not really going to get to, but uh, there's a little subset of it. Wimbledon ended a few weeks ago, um, and there's one story that I wanted to get to that particularly relates to Heroes in the United States. Um, and that's Serena Williams' journey. She had a remarkable Wimbledon. If you remember, she took a break because she was having a baby, which is, you know, worth, worthy cause, and went on maternity leave, came back. Uh, first major since that. Listen to these score lines from her Wimbledon 7 5 6 3, win. 6 1 6 4, win. 7 5 7 6, win. 6 2 6 2, win. 36, six, three, six, 4 win. Six two six four in the semifinal. Um, and then losing to Angelique Kerber in the final six three six three. Normally, this is just this is just a normal normal turn major tournament for Serena, you know, looks dominant at times, um, and always constantly wins. Angelique Kerber is a foe she's lost to plenty of times before, is nothing new for her. Um Obviously, she wanted to win, but when you look at the context, I mean, this is a remarkable uh, tournament that she was able to have right after having a kid, um, and she's, to what, 25th or something in the world right now? Right now, she's got her up to sixth in the world. This is just a start for her. I mean, she's clearly on her way back up to number one, um, and I, I don't see why she can't go on to keep winning majors after having a kid. This is a nice story. Uh, it's an empowering story almost. I'm obviously no woman. Um, but historically women have always been kind of one, one knock against female athletes has been like, once you have kids, your career is done. Um, but clearly Serena is demonstrating that that's not the case. Uh, you can come back stronger than ever. I would recommend everyone to check out an ad she did with Nike, uh, about her having a kid and still being able to come back and perform at the highest level. Um, it's just a nice, empowering story that we don't see, or we're starting to see more uh, in today's society, but hasn't been something that historically uh, women have been told they they can do. Uh, so it's good to see Serena Williams back. That was a little quicker topic than I expected. Um, we've got plenty more stuff to go get, get onto. Um, but it's great to see Serena back. We're excited to see her dominance as per usual. Well, I didn't realize that, uh, A, we hadn't talked about this yet, and, B, it got pushed down this far in the show. Um, But, like, you know, Kawhi Leonard went to the Raptors. (laughs) That's not a little thing that happened. Um, So, let's dive into it. Um, Kawhi Leonard traded to the Toronto Raptors in exchange for DeMar DeRozan with uh, other things, I believe. Uh, And this is an interesting interesting deal. Uh, Kawhi Leonard had to get out of San Antonio. After all the reports of him saying, no, look, I, I don't want to play here. And all of the controversy that went down last year with possible locker room beefs and his doctors, quote-unquote doctors, saying things that the Spurs wanted to get a second look at and he wouldn't take a second look at and, and everything of that nature. Uh, there, Kawhi had to leave, or else next year was going to be really unpleasant and negotiations wouldn't have gone well for him or the Spurs or anyone involved. Um, so he got out, and he went to Toronto, now, this is an interesting move because this wasn't really a team that was placed in the Kawhi sweepstakes early on. Um, and yet, this is a pretty decent um, move for a contender. If you start to look at the Eastern Conference, how it's shaking out, now that LeBron's left, it release, it lifts the powder keg uh, off of the rest of the Eastern Conference. And Boston becomes the clear favorite with Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, uh, Al Horford, etc., and yet, there are still teams that can compete with them. The Philadelphia 76ers are still young and still good. They re-signed J.J. Redick, Embiid, uh, Simmons. Plus the Pacers, who have just been quietly been a good team. The Toronto Raptors, uh, who just signed Kawhi. So, like, this division is pretty open. I just said, like, yeah. Uh, this division is pretty open. And, and that now that the Raptors have signed Leonard... Uh, look at their backcourt of Kyle Lowry uh, paired with Kawhi. Throw in there Danny Green, who the Raptors also got in the deal. Um, Serge Baca down at the four. And then Jonas Valanciunas, a solid starting center at the five. Um, and you've got a team that was the number one seed last year and now can compete with Boston, even though they might not get the number one seed, can now compete with Boston in the playoffs and possibly get to the finals. I mean, look, they were 34-7 and last year at home this team is no slouch uh so it's going to be very exciting to see how this eastern conference race plays out next year even if we might uh know who's going to win the title or who's going to win out of which conference the title winner is going to come out of uh, per se it's still going to be fun to watch who's going to win the eastern conference because if the raptors can start to make a push for Kawhi, maybe keep Kawhi after this year and bring in another player if the Warriors. Um, and and the rockets start to start to die out for age or trade or salary caps or whatever reason. Uh, this will be uh, a fun team to watch. But I think a bigger or uh, arguably another story coming out of this is how is Kawhi Leonard going to change now that he's moving? Because in San Antonio, uh, he was a quiet. Uh, he never said anything. Like who's heard him speak? So more than like two words at a time. Uh, and his doctors his private doctors and his men and his his, uh, entourage uh, were a big point of contention in San Antonio. Is he going to open up now that he's not in the system of Greg Popovich, where players are encouraged basically to be like that, Um, ignoring the whole his men part. Um, But will he be more open in Toronto? I think he's going to be a little bit more open. Um, He's done more interviews, I think, since coming to Toronto, but that's, you know, because he's moved. Uh, But, I think he's gonna be a little bit more open because now that he's not in the Popovich regime, I think there'll be more uh incentive for him to be himself a little bit there started to be glimpses of that in San Antonio, like I think he did an ad where it's like the secret life of Kawhi is pretty funny. Um but in Toronto I think I think he'll open up a little bit more, I think he'll be a little bit he'll show a little more personality. He and Kyle Lowry could be good buds. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic unfolds in Toronto, because if they don't like him, I mean, they could just as easily uh, ship him out to to another team after this year. There are already rumors uh, about how he might be traded at the end of this year, uh, going to like Brooklyn or or something like that. And he has a lot of autonomy, obviously, being the caliber player that he is. Uh, So that was an interesting trade that went down. Um and just another storyline we're adding to the uh to the NBA season. Finally, we're gonna talk about baseball yet again. Um who who would have thought uh with with Manny Machado going to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um Machado, very talented baseball player, uh multiple time all star, played for the Orioles up until this point in his career. Uh and before the trade deadline, he was traded over to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This Dodgers team, if you don't remember, they got to the World Series last year and were within one game at home of winning it. So they were one step away from winning a championship. But this team, now that you've added a power hitter like Manny Machado, is incredibly stacked. I mean, just listen listen to this. Cody Bellinger. Uh, the big home-run swinging lefty. Manny Machado, Max Muncy, who's come into his own and participated in the home-run derbies. So that shows his power. Chris Taylor, another young guy uh, that has pop in the lineup. Chase Utley, the wily vet that can, for some reason, still play. Kike Hernandez, who's a flash of lightning and uh, has been hitting better. Matt Kemp, who, for some reason, can also still play. Uh, who would have thought he had a crazy resurgence as an all-star now back with LA. Jock Peterson, who can be kind of on and off, but still, and Yasiel Puig, who is Yasiel Puig, uh, who has the speed, and five-tool player, even if not all five-tools are are on all the time. Look, this Dodgers team is stacked, Um, and they struggled early on in the year, falling to like fourth place in the division, but in in the time since then, you can see this in the baseball spreadsheet on Google Drive that is on I believe our website. I'm not sure. It's somewhere. Just let me know if you don't have it. Um, But either way, they've come to the top of the division. They sit at 59 and 48, a half game above the Diamondbacks. So with this addition, I mean, this Dodger team is really, really good. And if they hit a roll, there's no reason, there's no team that can stop that lineup. So it's going to be, and well, we haven't even talked about their pitching. Clayton Kershaw, Kenta Maeda, uh, Rich Hill, all solid guys that have made a name for themselves in the major leagues, throwing Kenley Jansen to close. I mean, this is a stacked team. Uh, if they don't, if this is their window, this is their championship window right now, the next, like, four or five years, um, because they've got, you know, young guys, Bellinger, Taylor, uh, Muncy, Hernandez, and Puig, and then you've got the Wiley Vets that are going to start to age out soon. This is their time, uh, and if the Dodgers can't win a championship in the next few years, it might be a little while. Uh, that said, they haven't even wrapped up the division yet. I mean, the Diamondbacks are playing good baseball. They have a solid roster as well. The Rockies all of a sudden have emerged from the, uh, from the rut they were in a few months ago, uh, having the, I believe, best record in July and coming off sweeping the uh, Oakland A's. And then the Giants, who are just... You know, they've been playing mediocre baseball all year, but, I mean, they're five games back as I speak, Uh, so they're still hanging in the division. So it's not going to be a tough road ahead, but with the addition of Manny Machado, this Dodger team gets really, really good. Quick take time, courtesy of Bleacher Report. Carvey Irving's intentions regarding future not clear. Nets, Knicks will pursue, article by Alec Nathan uh, just this day. So this is going to tie in a bit to our conversation we just had a few minutes ago uh, with the Eastern Conference opening up. Imagine if Kyrie Irving goes to Brooklyn, Kawhi Leonard goes to Brooklyn. I mean, it's, or next year if Kawhi stays and Kyrie moves to one of these non-contenders, I mean, the, the conference is just going to get even more wide open. Um, and this is going to make for some exciting battles in the years to come. I'll be curious to see who comes out of this division as the perennial favorite, if one does. A few years ago, the West was kind of a wild mess. Uh, The Spurs were at the top of the conference, but they were getting older, and we're starting to see that their age got caught up to them eventually, even though it never seemed like it would, but now they're probably looking at in six or seven or maybe even eight seed right now. Um, And then the Warriors ended up being the team that came out of the Western Conference and became the perennial favorite to not only win the conference but the championship. It would be fun to make bets on who is going to become the perennial favorite out of the Eastern Conference. If I had to make a prediction right now, I would just say the Celtics just because I I believe Kyrie Irving wants to stay um, with this team and they have a solid young core in addition to uh, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Uh, But, you know, change happens. LeBron moved out of the conference. Kawhi moved into the conference, so there's really no telling what's going to happen next, and I'm very excited to follow the NBA for the next couple of years. Thank you so much for listening to The Wong Takes. You can check out The Wong Takes on our website, bit.ly slash thewongtakes, on our Patreon, patreon.com Wong thewongtakes, at our email, thewongtakes at gmail.com. You can continue to rate the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. We've got great reviews. Thank you so much uh, subscribe on iTunes and Google play. That's how you can get the freshest Wong takes content straight into your feed. Uh, what else, what else, what else, what else? If you donate money, you could be, uh, get your name on the podcast, get your name on the podcast description, all that good stuff. Uh, don't forget to do all those things. And thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And I will hopefully see you next week.